Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning again. I want to welcome you. If we haven't met, uh, my name is Christian. I'm the lead pastor here. appreciate Campbell uh, letting you in, orienting you a little bit about how we do things here at the Grove, but it is a, a joy to get to worship together. If we haven't met, those of you that know me, you'll, this will come as no surprise. You know this about me. Those that haven't met, uh, just a little thing to know about me is I'm a loud and proud child of the 80s, okay? Um, and uh, have many, many fond memories of all kinds of the quirky things that happened as I was growing up uh, in, the, in the 80s. And, and I love movies. And you look back in the 80s, I think it was a, a golden age when it comes to kind of group adventure movies, okay? There was just all kinds, this whole genre of a bunch of usually kind of teenage, maybe junior high age kids who somehow get brought together and they go on some kind of grand adventure. I'm thinking of movies like The Goonies. Uh, for me, a, a personal favorite, Iron Eagle, okay? Uh, totally ridiculous, okay? But I love Iron Eagle. Um, a more obscure, some of you may remember this, but don't know, but uh, a movie called Explorers, okay? This is Ethan Hawke's uh, who is a famous actor for some, uh, this is his first movie, also River Phoenix in that movie, and they build a spacecraft and travel and meet aliens. I mean, it's completely ridiculous, cheesy, but this is the kind of movie that shows up again and again in the 80s, and we have classic examples of those kinds of movies, right? Lord of the Rings is, is the most famous one, and, and I'm, the kinds of movies I'm thinking of, the kinds of stories I'm thinking of, and, and for those of you in other uh, generations, you can think of your own examples. Okay, I, I didn't want to take too much time just going through the whole Rolodex of all the different types of movies. But here's the thing that unites these, these kinds of stories. There's this band of misfits who are brought together in crisis and curiosity, and then they're sent on a grand adventure. It, just, it shows up again and again and again in the stories that we love. And there's a yearning, I think. I think the reason that this shows up in our stories is that there's a yearning in all of us. There's a yearning to go on that grand adventure, to be a part of something, and not just by ourselves, but with others, something that is, is good, maybe even great. And the truth for those who have trusted Christ, those who have received new life through Jesus, the truth for us is that we are actually a part of the grandest mission of all time. The grandest mission of all time. And so today we're going to kick off a series looking at what's known as the Great Commission. Okay, I want you to turn, if, if you have your Bible or your device, uh, or if you don't have a Bible, the one in front of you is a gift from us to you. We'd love for you to have that. Take it. Uh, it's yours. But if you want, you can flip. We'll, we'll see some of the verses up on the screen as we go today. But um, go ahead and turn to Matthew 28. Okay, it's page 900 in that Bible in front of you on the floor. Uh, but Matthew 28, and as you're making your way there, um, I just want to, and before we read it, I want you to think about this. Okay, you can do two things at once. Uh, don't answer this question. This is not meant to put anybody on the spot. So don't answer this out loud, but just think about my question. Okay, I just said this is a series about the Great Commission. Okay, my question is, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, now again, don't answer this. This is not, we're not putting anybody on the spot. But, but do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? And the reason I ask you is because... Back in 2017, famous polling company Barna, 
they asked 1,004 what they called churchgoers. This means that somebody has attended church one time in six months, okay? So just somebody that would, was willing to go to church, okay? If you're here today, you just became a churchgoer, whether this is the first time in six months you've done this. But just a church, 1,004 churchgoers, and they asked them this question, have you heard of the Great Commission? Okay, now, 51% of that group polled had not. They did not know what that was. They had never heard of that. You can see it up here. Um, so 51% said no. 6% said not sure. Uh, 25% yeah, but I don't really know what that's about. And then 17% said yes, I've heard of it, and this is what it is. Okay. So only 17% out of that other 49 could say what even the Great Commission was, even if they'd heard of it. Now, my guess, again, we're not doing any polling here. My guess is that number was probably a little higher around here. But the series today is to make sure we do know what the Great Commission is. As somebody I heard recently said, Jesus's last command, when we're talking about the Great Commission, we're talking about Jesus's last command. And if we understand it properly, Jesus's last command really should be our first priority. Okay, now again, we have to understand it rightly for that to be true. But if we do, then his last command really should be our first priority. So we want to make sure we know what it is, understand why it matters, but really, most importantly, we want to be able to help us understand and realize what our part is in the Great Commission. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to take some practical steps toward life on mission. That's, that's the idea with this series. And, and what we'll find, I hope, is that what we do up close and personal really can reach very far. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go to Matthew 28. We're told this. Again, this is Jesus. He has been crucified. He's been now resurrected, and he meets with his disciples, this, the 11 disciples who are remaining. One of them had betrayed him, and so he's not there. But the 11 disciples, perhaps there were even more around, but this is what he said, what, what we find. It says in verse 16, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. But when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. When Jesus came near and said to them, uh, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Always to the end of the age. Now, the commission itself is in verses 18 to 20, and we're going to get to that in, in the weeks following. But to understand what Jesus says, we can't miss where he says it and to whom he's speaking. Okay, so today, we want to look at specifically where this takes place and what happens as it's taking place. Okay, now, a, a little background, okay? They didn't just show up there by accident. Okay, we can go back. Jesus actually told them before he was killed. This is what he said in Matthew 26. He tells them before he's, he's taken away and, and tried and crucified, he says in verse 32, 26, 32, after I've risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So he's called his shot. Okay, just, just so we know. He said he would be resurrected. He said it multiple times, many times. But here specifically, he says, I'm going to be resurrected, and then I want you to meet me in Galilee. We're, we got some work to do once I come back from the dead and all, okay? So he does that. And then after he's resurrected, 
There's a, a group of women that come to try to, they, they don't realize he's been resurrected. They're just going to take care of his body after he's been crucified and, and laid in this tomb. And so this group of women show up at the tomb, and there they're greeted by an angel. And so Matthew 28, 7, that angel tells, uh, tells them, go quickly and tell his disciples, so the others, tell them, he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I've told you. Okay, so he says, hey, remember, Jesus told you, going to meet you in Galilee. Angel comes and says, hey, remember, he told you, going to meet you in Galilee. And, and so that's the plan. And then a little later, after Jesus appears, again, to these women who had come to try to take care of his body, thinking he was dead, Jesus tells the women, very same thing, Matthew 28, 10. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. And they're, they're kind of freaking out, like, hey, he's alive. We saw him. He was killed. He's alive. He says, hey, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Okay, so this is a planned meeting. Jesus had been planning this. He'd been planning it before he was ever killed. He's planning it before all of that stuff goes down. He says, you're going to meet me in Galilee. So they're not there by accident. Now, I, wanna, I want you to think about They've been told this multiple times, and now they're given this message. Hey, the, the time has come. It's time to go to Galilee. And somehow they know where to go. Like Galilee, I mean, it's not like a metropolis, but it's a big enough spot. You can go to a variety of places. But they know specifically where he, what he means. Okay? Scripture just doesn't give us all that detail. But what must it have been like to be those 11 disciples and to get that word? Okay, hey, apostles, assemble. Meet me on that mountain, right? I mean, like, like what was, would that have been like? You're, you're on this road now. You're, you're together. And... One, they've now heard, seen, wait, Jesus is alive. That's mind-blowing enough. And now they're like, well, what's he going to tell us? Like, what's coming next? This is amazing. But what's this meeting he's been plotting? What's this all about? You've probably been there. You probably had meetings you were supposed to be at. You're like, man, what is this going to be about? I don't think they were dreading it, but, but you've got to wonder, like, what are they thinking as they make their way to this mountain in Galilee? But they do. They make their way, and again, we're told the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them, okay, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Now, where? They go to Galilee. Now, this is the highest region in Israel. Okay, you go into Israel, this is the highest region. Now, it's not the, the Rocky Mountains, okay? You're talking about a, an elevation probably roughly two to 3,000 feet, but within Israel, this is the highest elevation, just general elevation of, of a region, okay? And it said that he would meet them on a mountain. That's probably, we don't know exactly what mountain. The scholars differ on what they think it is. A few different possibilities. But mountains are really important in, in God's work throughout history. Okay? And, and, and mountains have been important in the religious life of peoples all through time, really. See, the mountains were considered the place of the gods. This is why very often you read in the Old Testament, you hear about this false worship, worship of, of other gods, of these idols taking place in the high places. And it was a responsibility of kings of Israel to go and, and tear down these, these places that had been erected on the high places for this false worship that God's people had been engaging in. So there's this understanding that the high places are where you go to meet the gods, the high places, the mountains, are key in redemptive history and in, in God's work in the world throughout history. You have, we could do lots and lots talking about just mountains in the Bible, but I want to just highlight a few things. One, we, we find two, well, there's these two really important mountains 
in the history of God's people. One is Sinai. Mount Sinai is the place where Moses goes and receives God's law, right? If you ever saw Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, right? Like he's on Mount Sinai, okay? It, It wasn't really Charlton Heston, okay? It was Moses many, many years before. He's on Mount Sinai, and that's where he receives God's law. That's where, where Moses and, and thereby God's people come face to face with God's holiness. And the result of Mount Sinai, what, what Mount Sinai is in, intended to instruct us in, is that we have to come face to face with our own sin in relation to a holy God. Mount Sinai delivers to us this understanding that we don't measure up to God's perfect holiness, his, his righteousness, his set-apartness. Okay, so we have Sinai. That's an important mountain in the history of God's people. The other mountain that's key in God's, in, in God's people in their history is Zion. So you, again, you see all throughout the scriptures mentions of Zion. A lot of times Jerusalem is, is connected to Zion, and Jerusalem is in a higher place. Again, you wouldn't say you're up on in the mountains, but but it is a higher elevation. You make your way up into Jerusalem. But the idea with Zion is that that was the place where you have the hope of heaven. Zion is the place where God is. It's, it's this promise, this hope that there would be a day when God's people will be with him and they will be in or on Zion. It's, it's the hope of heaven. It's, it's the hope that we will be with God. Heaven's not good unless God is there. That's the promise and hope that God's people have lived for again and again and again. In fact, we then see this okay, much later, even after uh, Sinai has, has taken place and Zion has been this understanding of, of hope for God's people. Later, the prophet Micah speaks, though, in these terms of, of mountains. Okay, Micah 4.1, he, he makes this prophecy. He says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains. And will be raised above the hills. People will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So here there's this promise that there's going to come a day where God's people are going to come to this mount. And there they're going to. They're going to experience the hope that they've been wanting, they've been, they've been waiting for, and we're going to learn about walking in God's ways. And so, here we are now in Galilee on this mountain, and here's Jesus talking. I want you to think about now the, the importance of mountains in Jesus' life. Very prominent in Jesus' ministry, really at the center of his ministry, is what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. This is where where Jesus really lays out his vision, his understanding. I mean, it's his perfect understanding of what does it mean to be a part of God's family, to be a part of the kingdom of God. And he's instructing there in that Sermon on the Mount, telling us, hey, this is what the Old Testament said. This is what you've heard. I'm here to not, not get rid of that, but to help you understand it in its fullness, to fulfill it, and to show you exactly what it is to live for God in uh, this day and age. And so we have the Sermon on the Mount. And then Jesus' life moves, takes him to another mount that we know as either Calvary or Golgotha. Golgotha is the, the Old Testament 
way of speaking of it, or the, the, the Greek way that we would have understood it then. Calvary is, is a Latin word. It comes from a Latin word talking about Golgotha. Same thing. And where is that? Well, that's the place where Jesus is crucified. So Jesus makes his way to a mountain. And what happens? Well, it's there on that mountain that he brings grace. He brings salvation to people. He makes possible. He, he takes our sin upon himself, all the ways in which we have defied God and lived in rebellion against our maker, he takes that upon himself in order to then give us life in exchange. And so here we have another important mountain in Jesus' life, Calvary. And now here he is on the other side of his death, having been resurrected, and he says, now meet me on a mountain. And here we find the Mount of the Commission. And what happens there? Well, there the, the disciples have gathered, and there they're realizing, really, death is defeated. And just like all those people from long ago had been hoping and waiting for, there's this new understanding that Zion is coming, that the hope of heaven is real. They can count on it. And know what else? It's there on that mount that Jesus is giving them this then final instruction. Just as Micah had had said what happened. It's here Jesus saying, look, this is what it is to be my people and to, to walk with me in this in-between time. I'm coming back again. But in between, this is what is important for you. And so that's all that's taking place. This is where it's happening. And then what takes place? What happens, though, before he even gets to the commission? Notice their response. They traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped. They worshiped. Literally, they bowed down. Okay? A worship service broke out on that mountain when they saw the resurrected Jesus. And in that moment, they're not stirred by awesome music. Okay? Music is awesome and it can be really helpful, but that's not what moves them. They're awed by the presence of the resurrected Jesus. That's what captivates them. That's what leaves them on their faces. This isn't just, hey, we're going to go meet up with our club leader. They, they know, wait, we're standing before the almighty God. And so we have to understand that everything that comes from Jesus, all this talk that he's gonna, we're going to get into in terms of this commission, all of that only took root I mean, think about it. you got 11 people. And, and, and just in a few years later, they're going to be saying, these are the men and their, their band of extra misfits who have turned the world upside down. But the only reason all of that took root and that started to, to happen was because of who that band of misfits understood Jesus to be. The Messiah. The Savior. The, the King of heaven and earth. The King of the mountains who had come to rescue them from their sin and restore them to eternal life with God. That's what changed them. That's what made this whole thing work. And if we miss that and we just say, hey, there's this commission, go get some stuff done, it won't happen. And so three things I want you to, to take away today. One, we have to recognize that the fuel of our mission is worship. The fuel of our mission is worship. 
July 20th, 1969, the largest rocket ever created and sent into uh, the, the or, into orbit by the United States, the 363-foot-tall Saturn V launched Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin into space, and the result was that man walked on the moon. And to this day, no other rocket has launched human beings as far or eclipsed that size. Okay. Now, it's been you know, space shuttles and done things, but as far as this, no, other, no larger rocket has taken us any farther. And so I began thinking, right, how much fuel does it take to catapult that kind, I mean, this massive rocket uh, into space? And fortunately, I'm not the only one thinking about it, because I wouldn't have, I mean, I, I have an engineering degree. I could have, like, really knocked some things out this week and tried to calculate it myself, but that's been a long time ago, okay? But so other people thought about this was really helpful. I want you to, the, the result was, okay, and I want you to see this picture, okay? The result, this is in comparison to some other rockets. Yeah, there you go, okay? You see that there, 4,578,000 4, pounds of fuel, okay? 4,578,000 mean, pounds of fuel. Now, that's a lot. That's a big number. For some of you, maybe you think better in elephants, okay? So I want to show you how many elephants that is, okay? This is a, a picture somebody created. I know it's small, but, but you can see, okay? This is, this is actually 763 Asian elephants worth of fuel, okay? That's uh, averaging about 6,000 pounds per Asian elephant, okay? It's a ton of fuel. I mean, this is this massive endeavor to get this colossal rocket into space and to the moon. But here's the thing. The larger the mission, the greater the need for fuel. And there's no greater mission than the reconciling of mankind with its creator. And there's no greater fuel than worship of the one true God. In the words of author John Piper, See, mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. We're not, as, as fun as it is to think about, you know, all the, the kooky and crazy kinds of adventures and missions that we can get sent on that the movies talk about, mission for the sake of mission, I mean, that fun's going to run out. We, we don't talk about mission just because we want something to do. We don't live on mission because it's a nice thing for nice Christians to do. As Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.16, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We live on mission because first and foremost, God is worthy. He's worthy. And, and we, we set out on mission because we want others to know his infinite worth. We want others to know his immeasurable greatness. That's, that's our motivation. That's the fuel for mission, which leads us to the second thing. You see, the fuel of our worship, then, is God's glory. What, what fuels our worship? Because we're all worshipers. There, there's for every single one of us. There, there's something. Whether you're here and you're like, man, okay, how much time's left? Like, I agreed to come and, you know, kind of checking out. And you're looking at the time. And the Chiefs played yesterday, so you got a little bit of time. But, but if that's you, it's okay. just know, it doesn't matter. Whatever your thoughts on all of this, 
Every single one of us is a worshiper. We all have something. We all have things in our lives that we, we think are worthy. We think are valuable. And we orient our lives towards those things. Again, it could be the chiefs. It doesn't mean it's bad if you're a fan of the chiefs. But plenty of people, they can orient their entire lives around, again, name your thing. Hobby, recreation, people, success. I mean, there's just all these kinds of things that we, we orient. Our hearts, like Martin Luther famously said, our hearts are idol factories. Like, we want things to want, to care about, to, to proclaim and praise. So we're all worshipers. But the fuel of the worship that will carry us forward in mission is God's glory, His glory, His infinite worth. It must be known. And it will be known in all the earth. That, see, th- this whole mission is based on something that is going to take place. Habakkuk 2.14, we're, we're told the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. This, this will happen. Psalm 96.3, we're told, declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all people. This is, this is what needs to happen. His glory needs to be told. It needs to be known because there is nothing, no one more glorious than him. And that, that's really where we're coming from. Say his worth is infinite. And the most infinitely worthy thing in all the earth, people need to know that. And our lives need to be oriented towards it. But what does that look like in just one life? A.W. Tozer my favorite quote, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's a question all of us need to ask. When I'm sitting here talking glory and worthy and, and all of us need to ask, what do I really, when I think God, like what, what is coming into my mind? Because how you answer that question, what you really think about who God is and, and what he's doing and, and what he's all about and, and what all of this is all about, what really comes in your mind when you think about that will have profound impact on your life. So I want to give you just one example of, of what that looks like in just one life. There's this turning point in the letter to the Romans, okay, this famous it's in the Bible. It's that famous um, letter written to the Romans. But this is the Apostle Paul, a man whose life was radically transformed later after what we just read in Matthew 28. His life is radically transformed. He becomes a church planter and, and starts helping the, the gospel spread, God's glory spread around the known world at the time. He writes this letter to, to the Roman church where he he unpacks just the greatest explanation of what has God done? What has all of this all been about? And, and what does it mean to be a Christ follower? Okay, and, and he gets through what we have marked as almost 11 chapters of, of this letter. I mean, it's a long letter. And then he, he's, he's just, he's been explaining things that are really hard to understand. He's just been pouring out, this is what God was doing. Here's what it means to know him. Right there at the end of chapter 11, he just, he says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the, the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For, and he, here he quotes Old Testament. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 
There's so much there that we could, again, spend all kinds of time talking about this. But I just want you to notice the very first word in that passage. You guys go back to verse 33. Notice how he starts. Oh. Now, he could have. He's writing. He's, I, mean, it's very, I mean, it's very logical. Like, people that are very logical, like, they love Romans because it's like, oh, here, look, I can see all the logic and the way this is all played out. He, he could have just said, God's wisdom and riches are very deep. His knowledge is so deep. He, he, could, he could have just kept on this very, like, just practical, you know, logical way of speaking. But Paul's writing this, and he's overtaken with what he's writing in terms of who God is, what comes into his mind when he's thinking about God writing this letter, and he exclaims, oh, in a sermon on this passage, Pastor Sam Storms, he asked this question, do you want to know why so many believers are muddling through the Christian life, just trying to stay out of hell and to get by with as little discomfort and risk as possible? It's because when they think of God, Instead of, oh, the response is a, who? Born, out, born of ignorance. Or the, huh? Of disinterest. Or a, so what? Of indifference. And I want to add one more. As, as much as I appreciate Sam Storms, he just retired from pastoral ministry after many decades in, in Oklahoma City. Um, and so he knows far more than, he's forgotten probably more, far more than I know. But I'll add one more to his list. I, I think the other reason we, we sometimes can get caught up and not realize the gravity of the God we serve is because sometimes rather than the O that Paul has here, we, we just dwell in the OMG of shallowness. Like, we, we, we think God's good, cool, helpful, but we started to just live in this OMG, you know, of spectacle. Of, well, hey, look, that's kind of cool. But he's just one of many things that are, are just spectacles, just things that sort of grab our attention for a time. And then, oh, yeah, there's this other thing that kind of grabs my attention. And we just bounce around. And just, God's just one of many things. Not the O that Paul describes. You say, well, why? Why should, my, why should I, I respond like that? Paul tells us there at the end of this, this little passage, he says, from, because from him and through him and for him are all things. What Paul's saying is God is the source of everything, which means he is also the means by which we do everything. Again, if you're here, you're not so sure about this Christianity thing, man, so glad you're here. You're so welcome. This is a spot where we hope people will, will learn and, and, and see what that's all about. But just know, I mean, we really do believe that everything we do, because everything comes from God, that means that there's not a thing we do, whether we know it or not, there's not a thing we do that isn't because God has made it possible for us to do it. It doesn't mean we don't do stuff. It's not like we're robots and we're just kind of being led along and don't realize it. No, but it means that all the things we do, we're using, we're not using raw materials we created, we're using God's materials. We're using His stuff. And so he is also the means by which we do everything, and he is the goal of everything we do. Again, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. He is the end goal. He's infinitely worthy. And so 
He, he will be praised. And all of this, all of this, his glory, all of his goodness is recognized most fully as we dwell on and recognize and realize and respond to the saving work of Jesus. The fact that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, life you and I should have and, and haven't, and then Jesus took upon himself our sin, our rebellion, our failure, bore that on the cross, died an unjust, wrong death. He was not guilty, but he took our guilt upon himself, died that death, and then defeated death in his resurrection so that we could have the hope of Zion. And we're not just, we're not just blasted away by the reality of Sinai, that, that we have failed to live up to God's holiness, but instead we are rescued and we will be delivered to Zion. That's the hope. That's the glory. And so, as we recognize that, just last thing, we can only sustain a life on mission if we fuel up regularly. Paul goes on in Romans. He's just broken out in praise. And he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in view of the fact that God's mercy has met us in our great need, his grace has come and met us in our great need, he says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. He says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You see, worship is the response to God's glory, and it's a whole life pursuit. I want to just focus on one word in all of that. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why do we need to be renewed? Why do we need to, to keep coming to this again and again and again? The reason is we leak. You and I are leaky. I said last week we were kicking off the year. God made us bouncy, not breaky. But the result of sin is we're also leaky. We get a view, a vision of God's glory, His goodness, and we're excited by that, and we can praise Him and be so deep in understanding the goodness, the mercy that He's shown us, and we can go 30 minutes later or less, and we can get into some kind of ridiculous, petty argument. We just, we leak so easily. So God says, look, you got to keep coming back. The well, it's, it never runs dry, but keep coming back. And so we do this weekly, right? I mean, how, do you, how do you do this? How do you fuel up regularly? Well, weekly, we're coming together to say the most important thing about not just me, but about us is what we think about God. And so weekly, we're coming back to fuel up, to fill up, to be reminded of who God really is. It's imperfect. And that's the challenge I feel, the way that I feel trying to talk about the glory of God and knowing I'm not going to come close to expressing that in its fullness. But that's what we do weekly. We're getting together to, to refill, be reminded of the glory of God, to fuel up. But we also need to do it daily. Again, there are all kinds of other things competing for the, pla the place of glory in your life. Good things. I mean, not, not necessarily bad things, good things, but those things still trying to creep up and get to that, that kind of mountaintop spot to be the king of your hill, so to speak. 
the king in your life. And instead, we got to realize, man, these are they're just they're pitiful compared to the glory of God. And one shot, okay, guys, one shot of God a week, that's just not going to cut it. And so we, we renew ourselves daily. We spend time daily reading the word, not because we need to be religious, not because we, we need to prove something to anybody else, but because we need God. We need, we want to reflect his glory. We know that anything else we do, won't, it won't matter and it won't really happen unless we recognize first that he is the fuel. And so I want to encourage you to, to find ways to fill up, to, to make it a priority to fill. This is what we do when we, we talk about quiet time, spending daily time in prayer and Bible reading. It's what we do when we talk about getting in a group and connecting with other people, not just because we need other people, but because together we need to fuel one another up, be reminded of the glory of God. And this is what we do when we gather here on Sundays, refueling regularly. God's mission is meant to take us to our living rooms. It's meant to take us to our classrooms, our offices, and conference rooms. God's mission is lived in our neighborhoods, and it's lived in our hobby holes. And it could lead us to Excelsior Springs, or Ecuador, or even the Middle East. But we will only truly travel on mission if we find fuel on the mountain. I want to encourage you to, to take steps. We just talked about them. You see them on the back of your, your listening guide there. But consider, what steps would God have me take to, to learn again and renew, be renewed in understanding His glory, His goodness, and letting that fuel me for mission? Let's pray together. Father, You are glorious. It's my deep desire that we would grow and learn more and more just what it means to worship you, to respond in light of your mercy. God, for those who are here who may not yet have trusted you, I pray that today would be a day of consideration, if not conversion. But God, I pray that you would help us to really reflect, take stock in what it means to be your people, to be worshipers, and to be called to live life on mission for you and with you. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.